This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Well, I can't believe it. One weekend gone and City are already playing catch-up in the title race. Luckily, there are still 38 games to go and there's plenty of time for Pep Guardiola and his team to make up the three-point gap as it stands to the top of the table. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast where we're asking just how ready Manchester City are for the brand new season and how ready are the fans for it? It's one thing to finish the final third of a campaign behind closed doors, but how about starting a brand new one in the same manner? For City, it's a tough trip to Wolves to start and we'll preview that match a little later on in the show. Coming up, we'll also be discussing the transfer that never was as Lionel Messi ended up staying at Barcelona and we'll hear how the experience of VAR will be slightly different this time around. I'm David Mooney and for the first episode of the really awkward to say 2020-2021 season, I'm joined by City fan Kieran Murray. Hi, David. And Goal.com's Jonathan Smith. Hello. Hello. I was going to say if you had a good break, but it's only like 10 minutes ago since we all spoke to each other on the show. So Yeah, no, no, I haven't especially. Oh, OK. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I, broke, I think I broke my ribs, so I've been in a lot. Of, I've been in an awful lot of pain. How do you do that? I fell off a horse. What? <laughs> <laughs> Go on, carry on. Um, I, um, I went um, horse riding in uh, in Wales, and um, my horse decided that it wanted to stretch its legs and decided to overtake every other single horse, <laughs> and uh, and then get rid of me at the end of it. So even... I went flying down this hill, and uh, yeah, I think I broke a couple of ribs. Oh, so dearie me. Very sore. Well, I, I, my, my worst tale <laughs> is that I think I broke a finger, but I had it x-rayed and I, I hadn't, so that's that's the end of that. Oh, well, I didn't have mine x-rayed, you see, so if you, if you don't have it x-rayed, then no one can prove you didn't break <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Kieran, any broken bones in the last kind of four or five weeks or so? Uh, no, no, I've been all right. Touch wood, I've been um, pretty pretty healthy and I'm, 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 I'm well, I'm fired up and ready to preview. Okay, good. <laughs> good to hear. Let's let, let's crack on with it because I said in the introduction there the season starts just over a month after the defeat to Leon. Um, Kieran, is there time for much to have changed from last season, given how last season went? No, I I, I, don't, I don't feel like there is. Um, a part of me still feels a little bit sore and seething about that Leon game. So if I'm not over that match yet, um, it would suggest that there hasn't been too much time for much action to be happening. Um. I, I really think there has been so much that we sort of needed to be doing to prepare for this season coming up. Uh, and for one reason or another, I, I, I don't see how that preparation could have been happening. The players needed a break. Two of them were in quarantine. There was international duty. Pep himself was in quarantine. We've lost David Silva. We need to kind of uh, work out how that's going to work. We had loads and loads of problems last year. The defence kind of isn't looking good. Um, we haven't really made that too many transform- transformative signings. Um, but you know me, like I don't like to complain. I was going to say, but apart from that... <laughs> <laughs> John, I mean, how much of the problems from last season, though, how much of that is potentially wiped away by the clean slate of a new season? Because we talked about post-lockdown potentially being a a clean slate for the the team. They were still kind of like dead rubbers in the Premier League because they were, what, 18 or so points off Liverpool. That, that, That didn't really have an effect. Now that everybody has effectively started from zero again and it's it's a brand new season, everything is is to play for again. Does that actually do a lot more than than, than we think it might? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, because Pepper conceded the title long before lockdown, um, and so those games were the Premier League games. Certainly, were um, a little bit pointless, but they were preparation for. 
the FA Cup and for the Champions League games. Those were the priority. Um, so, the, so the, the you know it, the results didn't matter too much. So you think of the, the games at Chelsea and Southampton, which were kind of a continuation of what had happened pre-lockdown in terms of being the better team, creating the most chances and still losing. You could maybe think, well, that, that doesn't matter too much. But certainly the games against uh, Real Madrid, where they played the way they were superb, and then the games against Arsenal and uh, Lyon were very important and were geared, you know, the, much of those months were geared towards those games and they were absolutely terrible. So, yeah, the Premier League starts afresh, fresh ideas uh, and, a, and a new attack. But there the, the must be concerns at the back of everyone's mind that actually we didn't really put anything to bed uh, over the six months when we were when those problems first appeared. Yeah. Kieran, how, how do you feel about starting a new season behind closed doors? I mean, because there, there is a difference, isn't there, between finishing one that's that's kind of two-thirds complete and starting another one without the fans there? I, I sort of feel okay in terms of City's performances because they've had that sort of test in the water period um, from when was it July that, that it restarted again? So Project Restart has happened and the sort of eeriness and weirdness of playing behind closed doors with no fans, they're going to be over that and, f- and more familiar with it. Uh, in fact, when I was kind of preparing for the podcast and watched last season's um, Wolves games, it almost felt eerie to be watching it with fans. Um, the, the Wolves game, in particular the one around Christmas, where the, 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 the atmosphere was boiling over, um, that actually felt really weird and surreal watching it now that, now that we know what the fans are going to be like. Um, on a personal level, though, it's going to be really hard. And it's I don't know if I'm speaking for everybody here, but, you know, match-going fans, it's hard to get as fired up as the season when you're not going to get to see them live. You're not going to get to see the rest of the birds and stuff. So it's that, that kind of way, um, it's, it's sort of difficult. And it's, it's a weird one to kind of get yourself fired up for without that atmosphere. Yeah, well, let's let's come to the new signings ahead of this season because at the time of recording, there's uh, there's currently two in through the door. Uh, John Nathan Ake is he is he going to offer the defensive cover that City have uh, desperately needed last season? Yeah, a little bit. I think he's a good signing. He's got plenty of experience in the in the Premier League. Played more than hundred games. Um, he, he he looks like a pep type player, comfortable on the ball. Uh, he's quick, can pass. Obviously, the one issue that everyone's been focusing on perhaps is that he's left-footed and City's best defender by a mile is left-footed and can you play two left-footed defenders in the same defence? Yeah, but could uh, he play left-back? Well, I think he gives he gives them a few options. Obviously, against Leon, uh, Pep went with the back three and it didn't work. Just, you know, they looked slow and I thought they sort of played a... Played around Laporte, although he was obviously culpable for a couple of goals, but he wasn't involved enough. And I think if you were to play a back three with Laporte in the centre and Ake on the left with someone else on the right, either you know Walker, Stones, or Garcia, that's got that has a little bit more balance to it. In terms of left back, he can play left back. City have got kind of four options at left back, but no obvious first choice. You know, they've got you've got Mendy. Cancelo can play there, Zinchenko can play there, uh, and now Ake. So they kind of seem like they, they should, out of those four, they should have a solution and a backup. Um, but going into the Wolves game, you, 
I don't know what which is which is which is the first choice, which is the backup, and and you know which ones are going to struggle to get a game. I just wonder, Kieran, with Ake, if he actually fits the mould better than we expect, and he might actually play a lot more than people think this season, just because. You know, first off, left-footed, he's not going to bomb up and down the line as you would expect some, a, a fullback like Mendy to do. But he might be able to kind of come inside and offer that that kind of holding position that Walker does so well so often. Yeah, and Walker has done really well just on a sub uh, sub issue there. But um, yeah, no, I think he. I'm pretty sure Ake is going to play plenty. Um, I, I I think from what I can work out, he's a really good trainer. Um, he'll be the sort of player that people really like. Um. John's right. Look at how many different left back options we have. But I think Guardiola always seems to want to give everybody a go in that position to see how they fare out. Delph was there for a bit, Zinchenko was there for a bit, and not natural left backs. So this young new signing with a point to prove, who can do there, who is left footed, I don't see why that you know, I don't see what's stopping him. And um, plus we'll be in the cup competition, the Champions League again. Um, so yeah, we'll definitely see more of him than than I reckon um we think we will. And I I reckon he's gonna be a really decent signing. John, what do you know of uh, Ferran Torres? Well, I've not seen a lot of him play. Um, speaking to spe- people in Spain, uh, <clears throat> you say he's got huge potential. He's very fast, um, uh, and he he seems very driven to be a success. He wants to learn from Pep. That was, you know, he had a lot of choices in the summer where to go, and he chose City partly to work with Pep. But obviously, you know, City are a, a big club, and he wants to be can see himself being successful. So, um, yeah, he's going to offer something that City didn't have last season with Sane not kicking a ball. So, you know, a bit of pace, a bit of, a bit of directness, which occasionally, you know, they lacked that sometimes, where, particularly if they were, you know, I mean, almost to get the game against Wolves last season where you think, try and play on the break a little bit, try and, we're down to 10 men, try and catch, catch them out and have someone extremely fast on the break. And it, Perhaps that's the sort of thing he could do. Yeah, well, uh, perhaps the biggest transfer story of the summer, though, possibly one of the biggest ever involving City, turned out not to end how many of us wanted it to. It was confirmed earlier this month that Lionel Messi wouldn't be coming to the Etihad, not this summer at least. And I've been speaking to Barcelona fan and football journalist Rafael Hernandez to get more of an understanding about what happened in a crazy fortnight in late August. It was something that was coming... For about three years already, because it was all about how how the how Messi has grown frustrated with the Barcelona hierarchy, because there simply there isn't a sporting project as we have seen by the Homa collapse and Luis Enrique's final season before it, and then you have the situation where the club is once again humiliated by Liverpool and the buyer humiliation was even worse. I don't even have words for it. So it gets to a point where Messi isn't happy at Barcelona right now. He himself said that in the interview last week. And honestly, it it has been about lack of sporting success and institutional instability that led to Messi wanting to leave to another club, not Manchester City specifically, but given what Manchester City worked with, uh, how, how they have built things since the since Tishki and Soriano were, were hired. City uh, was pretty much entirely set up to, to accommodate Guardiola and Messi. So that was always going to be inevitable. There, there was some other interest from, from other clubs, but no other club could afford to, to sign him. So 
apparently it's not confirmed but it's likely that because it was likely a leak by Messi's entourage that Manchester City had offered a five-year deal including two years in New York City and that's what that's how that's basically what happened so why why did it fall apart then in the uh, in the end there was there's obviously there's a lot of politics that goes on uh, 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 behind the scenes in all of the, in a transfer like this one when you when you're talking about one of the best players in the world going between two of the biggest clubs um so so why did it not happen well it was simply a case of the barcelona president who already has his back against the wall bartomeu he knew that if messi left it was the moment that he was going to be removed from office there was no other way around it and if he was removed from office he was liable to pay for all of the debt that he caused barcelona during his man- management so you had the situation where he was between a, a rock and a hard place he is still in a in a difficult situation but he knew that the difficult situation was bound to become impossible the moment that messi left because messi is basically the the team's leader, he he's basically the whole club right now when it when it comes to anything that happens on pitch, it's about Messi. Messi needs to win this, Messi needs to carry the thing to that. And that's pretty much pretty much it. So Messi and ended up staying and it was quite clear, he said it on the interview too, that he wanted to leave. That was a fact since he sent the the famous Bureau facts now. And the basically what Bartomeu did to hold Messi down is I'm not going to own up to the contract that you signed, which he which didn't have a release clause for the final season. And if you if you dare to leave to Manchester City, I'm going to take you and and your next club to court. So you are going to be up against your the club of your life, the club that you love, that you built your entire career. And Messi. Clearly, he wasn't up for it. He didn't want to tarnish his entire Barcelona legacy. So it was quite dirty of Bartomeu to basically coerce Messi into staying. And there's no other way around. It was it was awful, but it worked. Messi staying for another season. But his relationship with the club is never going to be the same again, too. I was going to say, in terms of um, of that that. Kind of like, as you say there, the, the, the almost sort of you're forcing Messi to stay. Um, what do you see happening next from all of this? Because I mean, the, the transfer window is open until October. Do you, do you expect City to come in for free? You know, try and sign him for free at the end of end of the season, or do you expect you know City maybe could come in with an offer? Would Bartomeu take it? No, it's not the case of, of, of City making an offer high enough. It's a matter of optics and politics at Barcelona. And Bartomeu knew that he he's doomed either way, either way if Messi leaves. But if had Messi had left and Manchester City had offered, a, let's say, 200 million euros, uh, that would nearly cover all of the debt that, Barce- that Barcelona incurred during Bartomeu's reign. So it, it would have been good for Bartomeu, which was the, the thing that I based the most when I was talking when I, was, when I was talking why Messi should leave, uh, was going to leave uh, to Manchester City, I said that I was 95% certain because everything was actually pointing to that. Bartomeu needed money, Messi wanted out, and you can't simply, you can't simply make the, the greatest player in history to stay at your club. But I was wrong because Bartomeu actually went at that extra mile. He did the unthinkable. He basically chained down Messi 
through the the most I wouldn't say shady, but it was very dishonest. Very, yeah, dishonest is the word. It's it was clear as well. Like listening to Messi's interview uh, afterwards with Goal, it, it was clear that he actually he did want to leave. This wasn't a this this wasn't a ploy to to get an improved contract somewhere down the line like we've seen from from other players in the past. This this was definitely a player that wanted out of Barcelona. Yes, absolutely. There was there was never any doubt because the moment that Messi sent that Buro fax, his entourage started briefing the the Argentine media and the Barcelona board started briefing the local media in in Barcelona. To and they had different versions, but the the one constant in all on in on these two sides was that Messi wanted out. There there was and there was never any doubt that he wanted out. Even though many people believe that he was trying to make another play to remove Bartomeu from office, but Messi is not a player that has never taken an active an active part on the institutional side of Barcelona, so he was never going to do it. And the other one uh, was that it was a ploy to actually raise his salary or renew his contract for one massive payoff. When when it's honestly mad when you think about it, because Messi gets over 100 million per year from Barcelona, including bonuses and image rights and everything else. So it was never a case of Messi wanting more money. He just wants to enjoy the final years of his career. As as you said about the Go interview, he was clearly miserable doing that interview. It was clear on his face, so there were no theatrics there. It's uh, when you look at, at players uh, leaving clubs like that that have been at for such a long time. I mean, I, I guess part of the problem that that Messi was facing as well here was was the fact that he's built his life at, at Barcelona, and you know you don't like even even if things aren't great now, you don't want to sour it at the end, do you? Yes, exactly. And when this when before he actually sent the Burofax, uh, I spoke of uh, spoke of the possibility of Messi leaving, but I didn't believe that he was going to, because of everything you said. Imagine you, someone get to you and say, "Okay, you you can have all of the money in the world, but you are going to get out of your home. You're going to abandon your whole family. You cannot you can and you can't see them again." That's that's basically uh, that's basically it. And Messi said himself that his family was crying when he he told them that he wanted to leave the club. So Messi's entire life has been at Barcelona. He he, he barely recalls Argentina because he was too young. And when you think when you think about it, uh, Barcelona is a wonderful city. Uh, what he has at Barca is special. His family, which is the most most important thing for for the for the current Messi. I would say that his family is even more important than football to him these days. It's clear that he, the moment that he took the decision to leave to to leave Barcelona, it was going to take a toll on him mentally and especially on his family. So it wasn't a hard decision, and it was an even tougher decision the moment that he knew that if he wanted to leave, he had to go to court against his own club. Well, let's let's talk about that that release clause that uh, you know it, it never seemed to get cleared up in in all of the aftermath. Um, he 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 was under the impression that that he could notify Barcelona at the end of the season that he was that he wanted to cancel his contract. Barcelona obviously said there there was a specific date he hadn't done it by. Um, what what happened around all of that? 
Well, Messi, the the latest uh, the latest contract that Messi signed back in 2017 specified that he could unilaterally uh, rescind his contract at the end of the season on June 10th, every June 10th of the of the end of the season, he could rescind his contract. So it was ba- it was basically a show of trust from the club to him. And now we know that Messi already wanted to to leave Barcelona for over a year. He said it on the interview that he had been telling Bartomeu that. So I would say that the pandemic completely got in the way of Messi's plan because it delayed everything. It made everything exceptional. And when it came to, when it came down to June 10, you you were in the middle of the season again. It wasn't the end of the season. And what he, what Messi and his lawyers thought is. Okay, the pandemic has brought special circumstances, so I can leave. I can leave at the end of the season, because at August, because the season actually ended on August, right? So it was a sound legal argument, and he was he would have likely won on court too, but that was the problem. Uh, Messi knew that he was right; his lawyers were were right, but Messi wasn't going to go as far as fighting against Barca to do it, to tarnish his legacy. And as he said on the interview too, go against the club of his life. Yeah. Do you think that there is a situation now where, where Messi does move to Manchester City at any point in the future? Well, I think that the moment that Messi said that he was staying, I was already thinking that he's likely going to City anyway. So, yes, absolutely. I think it's, it's possible that... Messi is going to go to is going to sign a contract with Manchester City, a pre contract with City by by January. I think it's possible, especially considering how the team might be doing on pitch. Let's say it, let us let's let's see that the let's say that the Barcelona season was was a disaster so far. So we get to January and the team is far behind on the league, poor in the Champions League, and the cup really doesn't matter. So yeah, there's a possibility that Messi simply throws the towel again and say, "Okay, I'm I'm going to already sign this contract with City because I already have a place to go." And it's the same thing that Manchester City did with Guardiola, which was basically get Guardiola to sign sign with them quickly, but with time to move and do things patiently because Guardiola already knew for over half a year that he was going there, so he could allocate his whole family. He could move there, and he could already be planning for for Manchester City to to be. Uh, he could already be participating with, in Manchester City's sporting planning. So it makes sense for Messi to be signing a pre contract with City if things are bad. There's the possibility that things might be well. I would say it's possible. Let's say I give it a forty a forty percent chance, given what we have seen in the the window, and. If that happens and there's election, that Barcelona elections in in March 20 and March 21, so you have the situation where the right candidate could win, and let's say a candidate like Laporta or Victor Font, who are the who are the two more, the the two better candidates, the the more progressive and smarter ones, I would say, the more prepared uh, people. If one of them get elected, I would say it's easy to persuade Messi to stay because he he will see that he is backed by the club again. Uh, everything is set for him to achieve success there there again. But if a if a a more debatable, a more questionable candidate is elected, let's say let's say 
Jorge Roche or Tony Freixa, then he's, leave, then, then he's leaving for sure because Messi doesn't take part in Barca's politics, but he knows who's good, who's, who's bad. And it's quite clear who's the, the bad side right now is the ones that are destroying the club from the inside. I guess ultimately as well, we we sit here at the at the start of the new season, and uh, and I guess it's it's a situation where nobody's really won. Messi hasn't got his transfer, you know. Bartomeu is is still in problems at at Barcelona. City haven't got the player they wanted, and, and Guardiola doesn't get to reunite with with one of his favorite players. Yes, honestly, I I think it's the worst case scenario for everyone. Uh, including Messi and the, the, only, the only winners uh, of this whole mess are the Barcelona fans that can get to watch Messi for one final season thinking that he might be gone so he might be val- uh, valued even further right so yeah everyone actually lost I would say that it, it got in the way of Manchester City's planning because everyone is, was expecting Messi to go there I don't know how was the view from the inside of the club but from the outside it was clear and for Bartomeu, as, as I said, he doesn't get to shave over uh, 100 million off the wage bill. So he has a lot of debt to pay right now. And you get a player that, and you get your greatest player at the club when he doesn't want to be there. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a lose, it's a lose, lose situation for everyone involved. So one final question then. How, how is the mood in Barcelona? How are the fans feeling? I would, I, I would say that. We we were all looking forward to to having having to see Messi too in England it was something and the, the letdown was very big for everyone, including because many Barcelona fans actually wanted Messi to leave. I would say it was at least a 50-50 split. So many people were really upset, and I would say that to Manchester City is don't uh, to Manchester City fans to not that get their uh, their heads low yet. There's still hope that Messi could come, but once again, no expectations anymore. If he comes, he comes. If he doesn't, you're you're okay too. You have to keep you have to keep moving forward. For a pledge of two dollars a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Rafael Hernandez speaking to me there. Kieran, just very quickly, your thoughts on uh, on not getting messy. Are you uh, are you as devastated as I am? I'm absolutely got it. I'm really got it. It's kind of, you know, since the takeover, there's always been that sort of a little bit of a dare to dream that one day we might get messy. And more than ever, the kind of stage was set a little bit. So the kind of the 5% of you that dares the dream turned into suddenly 10% and then it was 20% and then it was like, it really looked as if it was going to happen. Um, and you had the journalists who usually say there aren't enough superlatives to describe Lionel Messi suddenly run out of superlatives when he was linked with City. So you knew <laughs> it sounded serious, like he actually was on his way. Um, but it, I, f- I found it massively complimentary that it looked as if he actually wanted to come to us. Um, and it, it sort of, it doesn't rule out um, you know, maybe it will happen down the line, but it was it was an unbelievably like high point thought, and I think that's probably why it's a little bit crushing going into this new season. Um, it 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 was always going to kind of be a damp squib if you were linked with Messi and it didn't happen. You know, nobody can really compare to that. It's not just being linked with Messi though, is it? It's it's getting so close to getting yeah. Messi and then and then it not happening. Mm-hmm. 
Well, if there are to be further additions to the squad from there that don't include Lionel Messi, then they're going to have to happen once City's games are underway. The new season is starting so soon after the last one ended, and let's be honest, things are far from normal right now. So what should fans be expecting from their side this campaign? Sam Roscoe has been looking at what hurdles Pep Guardiola's team have to clear this season. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me. Yeah, it's a new dawn, it's a new day. New life for me, and I'm feeling good. It feels like 10 minutes ago that we were discussing what went wrong in City's Champions League elimination to Lyon. But a couple of fresh faces in, and a hard reboot of the Premier League season, and suddenly there's optimism in the camp again. I feel quite good about the new season. I would say I'm feeling cautiously optimistic about the new season. I think the team looks in good shape. I'd like to think Guardiola and the players are really determined to put right everything that went wrong last season. I think it's clear that City have tried to address some of last season's problems. And if we can start well, go on a good run, you know, get a bit of luck along the way, hopefully we can win the title back from Liverpool. That's City fans Richard Burns and Dan Burke. It's fair to say they're confident but there are still a few worries. The lack of rest between seasons is a bit of a concern and it's a little harder to get up for a new season while we're still not allowed to go to the match. But, you know, that's the same for every team in the league and I just hope City will go and show us that last season was just a blip. Though, as Richard Burns says, there are factors outside of City that could be a boost too. One of my other reasons, and this might be famous last words, but one of my other reasons for feeling confident is I do not think Liverpool have done very much at all to address their problems. We've learned harder than anyone that if you don't strengthen from a position of strength then you really sort of suffer for that and I think that might be a problem that they fall into. City's problems last year were actually quite simple. They let in too many goals when they shouldn't have done and they didn't score chances when they should have. So have they done enough to solve it? The little bit of scene of Ferran Torres suggests that he's a good player who will fit well in the team. I think Nathan Ake does address a defensive problem and at the time of me recording this, we're still waiting to see what happens with the Kula Bali deal, whether that gets over the line or not. If it does, he's going to cost a lot of money, um, so you'd hope, with that in mind, that he really will make a big difference at the back. Burke, that question came down to the transfer business too. I'm definitely happy with the signings we've made. Uh, Ferran Torres will hopefully give us that extra kind of pace and dimension and attack that we lacked after Leroy Sané got injured last year. Uh, Nathan Ake is a good defender who will provide some good cover for Laporte at the very least. Um, I still think we need to sign another enforcer to play alongside Laporte at the back though, you know, the real company replacement that we've, that we've not had. Um, but when all's said and done, uh, you know, we have arguably the, the best squad in the league and hopefully the players we've got will will all return to the top level this season. So, what would make this a successful season? For me, you always start with, how do you do in the Premier League? We fell a long, long way short last season in a league that I think it would be fair to say wasn't the strongest Premier League of all time. We had the same problems game after game after game. So, a successful season is addressing those problems. It's looking stronger at the back. It's having a good defensive partnership. It's not wasting chances. Addressing those problems and winning the league will make for a successful season. I think we can't make the same mistakes in the Champions League. It has to be improvement. And obviously, 
winning the Carabao. That last one isn't a priority for Dan Burke, though. Given the fixture congestion, I wouldn't be too upset if we played the kids in the cup competitions and got knocked out early doors this season because I think the focus has to be on the league and the Champions League. Um, I still don't feel like I'm desperate for us to win the Champions League, but this could be Guardiola's last chance to do it with the City and it would be a real shame if he wasn't able to deliver it. All that said and done, it seems most fans will judge the season by how City perform in the Premier League. Dan is one of them. I think City are always expected to win the Premier League nowadays and anything less is considered an unsuccessful season. Uh, that doesn't mean I necessarily expect City to win the league this year, though. Um, I would say I'm probably about 50-50 on that. You know, I hope they do. But I think a lot could depend on whether Liverpool are able to maintain the standard they set last season. And of course, you also never know whether someone like Chelsea uh, or even another club might have a stake in the title race this year. On the surface, it seems like City have more issues to iron out from last season than Liverpool. But that certainly doesn't rule them out from returning to the sorts of displays that saw them hit 198 points across two campaigns, along with winning a whole host of trophies. Unless new contracts are signed, then this will be Pep Guardiola and Sergio Aguero's final season at the club. If they are to bow out in the summer of 2021, then let's just hope they do it in style and that this term is up there with City's very best. You're listening to Jamie Pollock and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Now, Sam, you remember the images of Pep Guardiola at Oktoberfest, don't you? I certainly do. How Who can forget that lederhosen? <laughs> exactly. Have you been yourself? Uh, you know what? I've not. It's on my bucket list and I, I'm a big fan of... Um, you know, the, the way the Germans have a good party for the Oktoberfest, it always looks amazing. I, I'm a big fan of Albert Schloss as well that's in Manchester, which is that sort of October sort of, uh, fest, sort of, sort of themed place. Yeah, that sort yeah. of feel. Yeah, so I need to do it. I mean, I've been lucky to go to um, to Munich when, when City have played over there and we've been to like the Augustina Keller and the Hofbrau House, uh, some some really cool places. And you just get a little sense of it. But no, to do the, to do the full Oktoberfest is on the bucket list, definitely. Right, well, obviously, this year's event isn't going ahead. Uh, but just like the football, you could celebrate the world's most famous beer festival behind closed doors and do it in style with Beerhawk. Beerhawk is a craft beer shop that delivers to your doorstep in the UK and delivery is free for orders over £50. Beerhawk started with a mission in 2012 to bring delicious craft beer to the homes of discerning drinkers across the country. There are thousands of beers available to suit every taste and style. There are lagers, IPAs, stouts, Belgian beers, real ales, and there are care fully curated mixed cases so you can discover a new favourite based on your style of beer. And Blue Moon podcast listeners are getting 10% off. Just enter the promo code BLUE, that's B-L-U-E, that's beerhawk.co.uk. And Sam, I think you've got some there to sample, haven't you? Yeah, I certainly do. I've got a, um, a World Lager mixed case here and I've picked out from this a, uh, and I put it in the fridge so it's ice cold. I've picked out a Belgian beer because obviously, you know, one of our greatest ever players, Vincent Company, and uh, of course, Kevin De Bruyne, you know, two Belgian lads. Belgian, so yeah. I, yeah, of course, see the link there I've done. Um, I've gone for a Jupiler and um, yeah, this looks really awesome. I'm just about to... Uh, I crack on, to, yeah. Yeah, there, there we go. Hmm. Um, 
yeah, really crisp and really sort of refreshing, actually. Um, yeah, actually, it's it's really nice because I, I've I've been to Belgium once, uh, and yeah, it's taking me back almost. It's uh, it's one of a a number of selection in the uh, the World Lager mixed case that I've got here that I'm I'm looking forward to. It's nice as well because um, it's beers that there's a there's a couple that I've tried before. So there's a, a Camden Hells and a a Tiny Rebel uh, Lazy Boy Lager, which is a favourite of mine anyway. But then there's also some really cool ones in here like a. Um, uh, I'm just looking. I can't even pronounce some of them. They're that cool. Um, <laughs> a traditional, there's a traditional Czech beer that uh, Bohema Re- Regent uh, looks awesome. I'm going to try that a little bit later as well. And there's also a nice little um, dinky Flensburger Gold, which looks pretty cool. But yeah, plenty, plenty, well, plenty to, uh, to, to, to go up. Yeah, to dig into. <laughs> uh, well, if you like Sam could celebrate Oktoberfest in style from the comfort of your own home with Beerhawk's range of Oktoberfest beery packs. And these are the official Oktoberfest beers as well. They also come with a stein for that authentic touch. The cases are extremely limited, so if you want to grab yours with 10% off, use the promo code BLUE, that's B-L-U-E, at beerhawk.co.uk. Mm. Prost. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Sam Roscoe looking at the season's expectations there. So, uh, guys, going into into this season for City, John, I'm going to start with you. Um, what's, what's a good season for City, given the circumstances? Well, I think it has to be winning the Premier League or the Champions League. Um, anything else is, is kind of uh, underperforming, I think. Um, obviously, last season won the Carabao Cup uh, and that's always a always popular with the fans always a, a good day out um, always enjoyable but I think but it is fourth choice isn't it I think the serious business it is well no, I wouldn't even count the FA Cup either you know it's 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 one of those two and you know this squad is is very good and they have to be targeting those top top trophies Kieran, Sam mentioned in the feature there that this could be both Guardiola and Aguero's last seasons. Uh, what does your gut say about their futures? Um, my gut seems to be telling me that I reckon Guardiola will stay on a little bit. Um, something was shared with me with us earlier on. I think it was Chris Higgy sent it. He's the longest lasting City manager since Tony Burke. Yeah, he is. He's, um, he's, he's the fourth longest serving manager in the Premier League as it stands. And uh, the third longest serving, if you take out uh, managers that have that in that time have served in the championship as well. <laughs> um, I think he has it really good, and uh, you know, I think he's in a great place at the minute. Um, he enjoys it; he can get whatever he wants. He's sort of basically got the running of the club, and his little protege Lionel Messi might end up joining him as well. So I, I almost feel like that I, I could be speaking massively wrongly here, but I almost feel like their futures depend on one another, uh, Guardiola and Messi's. Um. So yeah, I know. I think he. I think he enjoys it here. He's done well. He's still got points to prove, and he's still got a, a massive platform in which to, you know, turn his hand to going about proving that. Um. Sure. And yeah, I think I, I. I don't sort of see any reason why we should be thinking about a, a post Aguero city just yet. You know, I think he's got um plenty of fire in the tank. Is that a phrase? Um, uh, it's fire in the belly or fire, fire in, in the, the tank, belly, I guess. Fire in the tank, yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I always do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, no, I think uh, we, sh- I think we should be hanging on to him, like uh, clinging to him to as a nail until uh, until he's really ready to leave. Um, do everything to keep him because he's he's amazing. He's a city legend. 
In all honesty, John, do, does ongoing contract talks with a manager, does that ever affect a manager's performance? Or, or is that just one of those things that we all like to say it could have an impact on? I don't think in Pep's situation it does. It doesn't really matter his performance or the club's. Uh, I mean, it, it could have a slight effect on a summer transfer because so many people want to work with Guardiola because he's, he does improve players. He, you know, he, he's improved some City players beyond you know, unrecognisably. So people want to work with him. That's why Torres came. So if you say, he's, if he says he comes out and says he's staying for another couple of years, that's probably going to help. Um, you know, if, if if Messi decides next next summer that he wants to go and Pep's not here, then that, you know, that really impacts on whether he comes to City or not. Um, but in terms of, you know, his relationship with the club is so strong that, they, it's almost like an, an open seat for him, you know, that it, he, he can basically ring up uh, Ferran Soriano whenever he wants to say, right, that's it, I'm staying, give me another 12 months, and and, it, and it's done. Yeah, what does your gut say? Do you reckon he'll do it? I think it all depends how, how it all how it starts this season. If if the players aren't really responding um, and these ideas aren't coming across, then no, if they start really well and you know he, he sees he thinks he can take play the team even further than they are then I think he'll, he'll stay another year so I don't think the decision's been made yet yeah uh, in a word will uh, do you think City are going to win the Premier League this season Kieran I'll stop you well, I can't say it in a word I hate sort of backing <laughs> them um, just it goes against me as a City fan to kind of ever back them but can they do it yes they can John yeah I can't completely agree with what Kieran said because you know what last season I, I I thought City could win it and then you lose Sane for for a season you lose Laporte for six months and and lose a lot of form and you think what well, what's happened there so you know you don't know what's going to happen but certainly City can win and this season I think maybe squad depth is going to be important and that's perhaps where City have a slight advantage you two are an absolute nightmare to sub-edit, I'll tell you that, in a, in a word, and then you both give me three sentences. Yeah, great, great thanks. <laughs> okay, so City's season kicks off this week as they travel to Molyneux on Monday evening for what will be the third game of the campaign for Wolves following their 2-0 win at Sheffield United and their game with Stoke in the League Cup that's about to kick off very, very soon. Uh, I'm delighted to say we're joined by uh, Dave Azapardi from Talking Wolves. Dave, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Um, I'm going to start with you on this one because, um, I mean... You must be you must be used to playing more games than anybody else last season. So uh, how's how's this season started off for you? Yeah, a really good start against Sheffield United. Um, I think we were all a bit unsure about how we were going to kick off. Obviously, Sheffield United had a pretty good season uh, last term, and Wolves preseason has been almost non-existent. A bit like you guys, obviously uh, finishing European competitions a little bit later than everyone else, um, and then obviously the whole international break during preseason is just. You know, you know, put everything uh, set up preseason a bit pear shaped. So I really didn't know what to expect last week uh, against Sheffield United. But fortunately, two really early goals, which is so unlike Wolves. Uh, we didn't score early or first half goals at all really last season. So to grab two left us in really good stead and, and got us a great victory against Sheffield United. I was going to say your your European campaign. I mean, it it didn't finish that much sooner than ours did. So uh, like you didn't get that week off like like we have at the start of the season. Is that a worry? It was it was a little bit annoying as well because I know we pushed for it with the Premier League um, and we said you know what there was uh, 
it was it yourselves, United, us, um, was it Chelsea as well? Yeah. And, you know, it just made sense to have us versus you as the first game and maybe United and Chelsea's the first game, give us the first week off. But the Premier League were really nice and let us play on the Monday instead of the Saturday. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah that, that's why it was a big concern for me because we had so many players that weren't actually at the club for pre-season. There were loads that had travelled with internationals. Um, but the fact that we'd come back, played a full-strength team and still managed to put in a really good performance and get a win over Sheffield United was uh, good signs for sure. I was going to say, Kieran, that watching that Wolves performance against Sheffield United made me maybe just wince at knowing that City's first game is not going to be the easiest, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it made me wince as well. Um, watching the early goals and just they just look so strong, so speedy. Um, I think it was from a corner uh, of for Sheffield United, and then went right up the pitch. Yeah, uh, <laughs> straight in in three minutes, it was like, oh god. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm really not looking forward to it at all. It's a, it's going to be a baptism of fire for City on Monday night. John, if there's one thing that City love at the moment, it's quick counter-attacking teams, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think this could come at a worse time, really. Yeah. I barely had any time together. Pep's only just come out of quarantine this week. And, you know, it's going to be very similar tactics to the ones that Wolves did last season, that Arsenal did, that Leon did, and that City just can't cope with. So it couldn't be a worse opening game I don't think for City so hearing that Dave you must be all uh, you must be feeling good about yourself right now <laughs> yeah I mean like you say I think that, that especially that first goal proper counter-attack and you know we've been playing we played a Dharma as well at right wing back so the fact that you've got him and possibly even Daniel Pedence who started off that move uh, on Monday it's yeah I'm looking forward to it <laughs> it should be interesting I think that's how we got the better of you guys at, at the Etihad mainly last season as well with with counter-attacking you guys played really high in a Dharma and Jimenez just you know, sped through and got those two goals. Adama on the right does not uh, does not uh, sound great for for City, John. Given the fact that I mean they've got Ake in, who you know I, I'm not going to say he's a natural left back, but can play left back. Um, but I mean, the left has been a problem for City. Yeah, I think that game last season was. I mean, it's perhaps my own ignorance, but it was the game where I thought that Traore really showed how much he's got to his game. He's not purely just pace and you know and strength to, to get past the fullback and stuff. he's got so much more to his game now uh, and he, he got the first goal back I think didn't he to, to make it 2-1 turn, turn the whole thing around but it, it was just a brilliant piece of skill and a great strike so he can do he can do everything now his, his crossing has improved hugely um, and City's left back position is and they've got plenty of options I just don't think they've got a, a, a first choice option yeah. So I suspect it will be Mendy that will start, and you know Mendy's a good. Mendy was a fifty million pound fullback, so he can do it, um, and he did okay last season at Molyneux, and then he made a catastrophic error, which led to the uh, winner. So yeah. he can't afford to do that again. He can't afford to do that at all this season. Dave, when you look at, at the two games that that Wolves won last season, um, I mean, there's. There was almost a, a kind of a blueprint from Nuno about how to go about beating a, a City side from last season. Do you look at this City side as, as one that you could still kind of do the same sort of thing too? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, Wolves have set up in the same sort of way. We've not really changed. So obviously Pep may have learned, you know, after playing us twice. And obviously we played you boys uh, under Nuno in the Carabao Cup a few years ago as well. So I know Pep's going to have a good idea about, you know, how to play us. And he's already, he has got the better of us previously as well. But... 
it'll be interesting. I think, you know, we're in a good position. Again, we're in a similar position to what we would have been when we played you guys last time. Um, the only real cause for concern I've got, yes, we've got Adama playing as right wing back, but he did look a little bit shaky at times. So Wolves are going to have to play quite deep, I think, and try and soak up the pressure against City and sort of hope in a similar way to what we did at your place last year. Hope that we can catch you on the counter a number of times to get a, to get anything out of the game. Is Nuno doing anything different this time around tactically? Well, he, he's teased in these uh, pre-season uh, press conferences and even after the game against Sevilla when we were knocked out of the Europa League that he wants to be a bit more ruthless and attack a little bit more uh, because there were at times last season, you can look at our record and it was probably mainly due to fatigue and stuff. Uh, we played quite defensive and we did soak up pressure and then on the odd occasion we did go on to win those games but you could see we had a lot of draws uh, last season. So I think Nuno wants to go for it a little bit more. So we may see that from Wolves. They may surprise me and go quite attacking against City and almost try and fight fire with fire. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do fully expect him to, to see him line up in a similar way than what he did last season. Which of those setups would worry you more, Kieran? A Wolves team that's going to come at City or a Wolves team that will soak up the pressure and break? Oh, God. Um, I, I'm terrified of them on the break, really. Um, and... I sort of have a recurring nightmare about uh, Nicholas Otamendi trying to uh, <laughs> play <high> line <laughs> stand up Triori or Jimenez again. Um, yeah, it, it was just, we've always been kind of error strewn against Wolves. Um, they just always seem to have the best of us. I would really like to think that Pep's kind of um, overthought this one. <laughs> um, maybe uh, maybe try five at the back again, see how that goes. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, it, it, it sort of doesn't really matter. as. like... At some point in time, you're going to get Wolves on the break, and it's how we uh, how we cope with that. Now, how does Guardiola stop what happened last season happening over again? Because I mean, it, it just like like I say, in terms of other than than Ake in in the defence, there's not really much has changed. Yeah, I know. I was I was listening to what Dave was saying there, actually thinking, I wonder would Guardiola want to do the same? Um, would would we maybe want to play a little bit deeper and try and absorb some pressure and soak it up a little bit and try to, instead of trying to play so high? And letting the the pace of wolves and the power of wolves exploit us so badly, um, I suppose Ake could, could be a uh, could be an option there to see. But um, it was interesting what John was saying there. I think maybe Mendy haven't had that um, had that massive howler against wolves in December last year. Maybe he would be the one to start again and sort of you know you know really just try and have the game of his life after that massive mistake that he made. You know. Yeah, I do wonder how that game would have been different if Edison hadn't uh, got himself sent off inside 15 <laughs> yeah. minutes or so as well. But, you know, he, he, I mean, you're still 2-1 two, two up with 10 minutes to go. You shouldn't lose the game, should you? That's yeah. the thing. Um, John, we obviously earlier in the, uh, in the... I was going to call it the summer, but it's not really the summer, but you know what I mean. Um, Mares and Laporte both tested positive for uh, COVID-19. Is there any news or any indication about whether they're going to be available? I mean, more, more than anything, is, is Laporte going to be able to play in this game? Well, I think they're going to be available, but whether they've, they're sort of match sharp is a, is another question. But obviously, uh, Laporte missed that game last season, and he, you know, as long as well as Ake, um, you know, that's two big centre halves that you would bring into the side, which would instantly improve and hopefully help help keep Kieran to sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's a, that's going to be a big change, isn't it? And and also, I mean, that night was just the atmosphere inside Molyneux was absolutely incredible. It was one of the best atmosphere I've been to in recent years. And it, I mean, as much as we all absolutely despise VAR, well, certainly I despise VAR. <laughs> it, it was it was kind of 
critical to, the, to that night because the sense of injustice from the Wolves fans over you know the, the penalty, the retaking penalty, it, it just made it it just made it incredible night and um, and it was almost inevitable at the end that they were they were going to snatch it because it was just a, a constant tide where with the fans behind them it, it was it, they were brilliant and it, and it was also the night I think where any hope of City winning the title was over. Yeah. Um, Dave, have Wolves been any different behind closed doors then without the the Molyneux atmosphere there? Um, Well, obviously today uh, against Stoke is our first game um, this season behind closed doors. I think, I think, like you say, the the fans are huge um, and and similar sort of uh, way, I think, to Sheffield Sheffield United as well. They sort of quietened down a little bit after lockdown. I think, you know, their fans at Bramall Lane were huge for them as well. Um, Nuno talks about it a lot about the fans and he just wants them to be back here as soon as we can as soon as it's safe to do so because I think Wolves are and it's a bit of a cliche but the fans really are a 12th man for Wolves and uh, can can help us and I think that was pivotal on that that night at uh, Molyneux last season as well against City I remember I was actually due to go on holiday on the 28th and travel down on the 27th when the game was and I just part of me knew it was going to be a cracking game and I said you know what I'm going <laughs> to travel down on, on the day and luckily I did and you know it was a crazy game and one that I think many Wolves fans will look back as one of the best games of last season for us but yeah it, it's huge and I know so many Wolves fans are really itching to, to get back into the ground as soon as we can Yeah, I, I'm, I, one thing I know worries City fans about Wolves is is looking at, at the record, certainly when you when you take the Wolves against City when it's Pep against Nuno yeah. like, the, the, the record for City is actually not that great, I mean talk about that, that Carabao Cup game City only won that on penalties. So if you take the 90-minute result, that one that one chalks down as a draw. City are 1-1, drawn... Uh, is it 1-1, drawn 2, lost 2 against Wolves? So what, yeah. what is it about Wolves that, that just seems to be right to play against City? I, I don't know. The, the Carabao Cup one, which I went to as well, was, was interesting because Nuno had just not taken that cup... I don't want to say seriously, but he'd just not played a strong team for any of those games. And even the game against City, he'd played a lot of under-23s or fringe players. But the way we set up, like City just couldn't seem to understand how to break it down. And we had a, a young lad who we've released now, Brighton Bakari, starting up front, who was so quick. And I think it was Mangala and someone else in defence. And he, Claudio Bravo saved City that day. It was it was crazy. Um, that, that's and not then, something that you hear very often yeah, on this podcast, yeah. I promise well, you. I it's on the documentary as well. Like, <laughs> that, that, that game was highlighted because I just couldn't believe the amount of clear-cut chances we missed that game. Um, but I think the only time you've really got the better of us was when Willby Bolly got sent off at, at the Etihad and you guys, I think, beat us 3-0 or something like that. Um, but all the other games, I think City just don't... Under, like, Wolves are so well-organised and find it so hard. Uh, teams find it so hard to break down. So I think it's when Wolves go with a clear game plan to defend and counter-attack. That's when Pep really struggles to break it down. I think if you've got an early goal, you know, the and Wolves have to start attacking a little bit more, it could be different. But the longer the game goes on and the, the longer it's level, I think Wolves have got every chance to get three points. Yeah, the longer it's the, it's that old age old problem, isn't it, John? The longer City don't score, the harder it becomes for them to score. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um it was a problem all last season, which is why I think it's 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 such a big game to start the season with for for Pep, because he wanna put he'll wanna put all those problems from last season right uh and wolves and maybe united were the two who who got it right against city more than anyone last season so they need to be right on it from the start because liverpool have already have already won and you know the last season the way it went every mistake just gave liverpool more confidence so they've got to be right on them from the start 
And of course, Liverpool will have already played uh, two games before City kick off, uh, Kieran. So they could actually be six points ahead at the top of the table. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> who, do, who do they have at the weekend? It is Chelsea. Oh, right. OK. Maybe with some hope then. Um, I, that, that sort of cap and mouse with Liverpool from uh, the 2018-2019 season. Um, I don't think any of us are really over that yet. That was absolutely anxiety inducing. It, it was, you know, they play, we play, they play, we play. And the amount of sort of one nils and getting over the line. And it's either if we're going to be constantly chasing them or it's going to be this sort of um, backward and forth with them. I just, I just haven't got it in me. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm certainly glad we didn't have to get to Molyneux in that running. I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Dave, uh, how how has this Wolf squad changed from last season? What's uh, what what what's happened on the transfers front? It's it's mostly Porto's team, isn't it? No? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had quite a shock exit. I'd say Matt Doty left. He went to Spurs. Um, I think he was one of the players that I felt as a fan that we could improve on. But I think the fee was quite a lot lower than what I expected. So we went to Spurs for about 13 million in the end. Um, I thought we probably could have pushed for 20, possibly even 25 million. Um, but yeah, he's gone. We haven't quite fit, um, got a new player in that position yet, hence why Adama's played there. Uh, we signed Marcel, who's a player from Lyon, who was part of the team uh, that beat City in the Champions League, I believe. Um, he played at the the left of, of the back three. Um, we brought Fabio Silva, our transfer record signing, £35 million from Porto. He's only 18. Um, not really played much senior football for Porto, so it's a bit of a risk. Um, but I think he's pretty highly touted in Portugal. Uh, and another young lad called Vitinha from Porto on a loan with an option to buy. So lots of young players. I think that the, the owners have made that clear as well when they want to invest in young, high-profile talent. And uh, hopefully it's something that, that will pay off in the long run. Well, Dave, before we let you go, because I'm uh, conscious that uh, as we record this, you're literally about to kick off against Stoke, <laughs> so uh, we won't keep you before kickoff. Uh, what's your score prediction for the week uh, for uh, Monday night? I'm going to be very brave and very optimistic and say a 2-1 Wolves win. Uh, well, we do a charity bet and a 2-1 Wolves win uh, would rake in £180 to start the season. So uh, I'm, I'm going to give you that one instead of my bet for this week. So uh, in a way, I hope you're right. But in another, another way, I hope one of our guys is right and we win a little bit less amount of money for the charity instead. Dave, Dave thanks very much. Perfect, guys. Thanks a lot. And that leaves City's game against Bournemouth to have a look ahead at now uh, in the League Cup for uh, for next Thursday. Um, I'm going to start with you on this one, John, because uh, how important is the League Cup for City, do you reckon, this season more than any? Given that it's it's going to be such a cramped season, but City love the League Cup. Yeah, it's a it's a guaranteed trophy, isn't it? So you might as well, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this season's the schedule is ridiculous, and you do think something has to go. Um, I mean, the the thing is, the way it shapes up these these this this in recent years is that it's usually the FA Cup that seems to take the less priority because. You get these early games out in the League Cup. You've got a big squad. You know you, you're only playing twice a week and things like that. And then when the FA Cups come round, it's after Christmas where you've yeah. played six games in two weeks and things like that. And the squads, you know, you've got a few injuries. So the, I, I just think the League Cup's a better competition. So I, I know it's probably not got the same prestige as the FA Cup, but I just think it's a better competition, and it, and it, and is now the third trophy to go for. Yeah, I mean, Kieran, five of the last seven have City's name on, and it's three in a row. So if it's even if it's not important to anybody else, it's important to City. Oh, that's sweet, Carabao. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we love it. I mean, it's a, a, there's been a day out at Wembley for us in the past three seasons. Like, um, 
it's it's been lovely. I, I completely agree with John in terms of how it how the fixtures fall and how the timing um works with us. It's it's sort of fallen more favourably than the FA Cup, and we've just seemed to enjoy having a sort of run at it and the build up to Christmas. Um, and it's it's great to win. It's really really satisfying. Um, and we're all about records, and we love picking up these sort of um prestigious sort of signature records or and smashing these sorts of things. And there's absolutely no reason why um when we've got such a strong second string. If you could even call it that, you know why we don't have the sort of strength to kind of go after it. Is it a second but, string you'd expect against Bournemouth? Um, yes, especially given that we've it's Thursday, isn't it? Um, and then we've got Leicester at the weekend, which is a it's a, another tough game relatively soon. Um, so yeah, a second string who um are kind of on the cusp of starting to kind of give them a run out to see sort of fringe players who you who you are in and out of the first team. And um, so Zinchenko comes to mind, you know, those sorts of players. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe give Bernardo a run out to try and play and Bernardo back into form, that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's sort of what I would be doing against Bournemouth. John, I don't know if this is any more incentive, but there's only one team in, in uh, English League history that's won the League Cup four times in a row, and it's Liverpool. <laughs> um <laughs> Well, no, I don't think that. I don't think anyone. It was. It was before the Premier League, wasn't it? So it was. It was in the seventies. Yeah, we, so it doesn't really doesn't really count, does it? So. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I mean, four, four league cups were just. I, I don't know. There's something. There's, City seem to have a nice sort of relationship with the league cup. Just, it just seems like a fun competition that everyone enjoys. Yeah. So. Yeah, go and win it again. I think I honestly think you've nailed it with that answer before because when you think about it, the squad is mainly fully fit before Christmas, and suddenly before you know it, you're in the semi-finals, and you're thinking, well, okay, win this two-legged time. We've got a trip to Wembley. You may as well go for it at that stage. And so I think I I honestly think that's probably what it is. You know that that City. I, I was going to say don't really rotate the team, but the last few seasons in the League Cup, they have rotated the team before Christmas. It was where you know Taylor Harwood Bellis came in and, and Tommy Doyle mm-hmm. played for a bit as well. Um, are those the sorts of names you'd like to see, Kieran? Yeah, it'd be nice to see the youth get a chance, uh, especially when it feels like some of them are on the cusp of breaking through. They're probably looking at Foden. Um, he had a decent relationship with the Carabao Cup coming through. Uh, he also had an absolutely unbelievable game against Aston Villa in the final last year. So, you know, if you can play your way into the team in the Carabao and stay there throughout the competition, um, you know, you might you might end up in the final. And, you know, who wouldn't love that? And who, as a City fan, wouldn't love to see it too. Yeah. Well, last season we raised £1,030 for the Christie with our charity bet with William Hill. This season it's back and we're aiming to do better than that. We've all got a £10 correct score single on City's games, starting off with Wolves. We heard what Dave uh, Azapardi from Talking Wolves thought before. Uh, he thinks uh, Wolves 2, City 1, which is 18 to 1 and £180 if he's right. Uh, Kieran, what are you having for this one? Um, I'm going for 2-0 because if City under Pep are serious about winning the league this season, that's the scoreline you have to start with. Because against, <laughs> against Brighton and then against Arsenal, uh, it was 2-0 under Pep, so I'm going for that. Lovely stuff. I, I love your logic. It doesn't make any sense, <laughs> but here we are. 6-1 uh, yeah. to one if you're right and uh, £60. Pounds. Uh, John, what are you having? Yeah, I'm going 2-1 to City. 2-1 City, a much tighter game than uh, than Kieran reckons. 7-1 uh, <laughs> if you're right and uh, £70 there. Uh, we haven't, the odds aren't out yet for the Bournemouth game, but we can get some score predictions in uh, in the bag. So, uh, Kieran, what are you having for Bournemouth? 
City four, Bournemouth one. Josh King was one last hurrah for Bournemouth before he probably <laughs> tries to earn his way into the England uh, setup. <laughs> and uh, and John, um, on the basis that they won every home game post lockdown five nil, pretty much I've gone five nil. Lovely stuff. Can't fault that logic. Uh, I've gone 4-0 for this one uh, because uh, 5-0 was taken when I came to do the predictions. Uh, you got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information about gambling responsibly, have a look at begambleaware.org. So, good news, everyone. VAR is changing for this season, but as always, the devil is in the detail. There's less good news when you get into the nuts and bolts of how the laws of the game and their interpretation has been modified. ESPN's Dale Johnson has been taking it upon himself to get to grips with VAR since its introduction, so I asked him about what's different for this coming campaign. I think the handball one's going to cause uh, quite some surprises this year, both good and bad. Um, We saw it the weekend with the uh, Leeds against the Liverpool game. Um, with the penalty that was given uh, against Robin Koch. Um, last season, that wouldn't have been given, but um, the Premier League has been forced to adopt the same handball law that we see in the Champions League and we see uh, across all the mid-European leagues. And that means we're going to see a lot more handballs given for penalties. Um, because that was deflected uh, onto Koch's arm, then last season, I really don't think that that would have been given. But that type of offence is now going to be going to be penalised. So, so I think people are going to take a while to get used to this. Uh, especially incidents, for instance, um, the Trent Alexander-Arnold incident against Manchester City, where Michael Oliver didn't give the penalty. That's funny enough, Michael Oliver was a ref on side as well. Um, and it was decided that Alexander-Arnold didn't have his arm in a position whereby he was making it bigger or he hadn't moved it towards the ball or he hadn't done anything which could really constitute a deliberate act. Now, that's been taken out of the law now in terms of how the Premier League can uh, interpret that. And if a player's got his arm in that position, it will now be considered that he's making his body bigger uh, and it will end up being a penalty. So um, that is one of the major changes. Um, in terms of um, the position on the arm for handball, and we've actually already seen this at the weekend as well with the uh, Arsenal game with Gabriel's goal. The point of handball now starts at the armpit on the arm rather than being the pole of the shoulder. So last season, Gabriel's goal would have been disallowed against Fulham. Um, and probably... Looking at the number of goals which were disallowed for handball by the VAR last season, we probably chalk back about five or six of them on the new interpretation. Yeah, I mean, the, the handball one is interesting. There's, the, the, the City were involved in a few of them last season. Uh, the one off the top of my head were that, that, that kind of immediately introduced City fans to, uh, to, to the handball VAR situation was uh, Gabriel Jesus' disallowed goal against uh, Tottenham in the second game of the, of the season right at the death because it, it flicked Laporte's hand on the way through. My understanding is that that would still be disallowed this season. Yeah, well, surprisingly, oh, um, maybe, I don't know how to say this to City fans, but... Um, the IFAB, who are the lawmakers, uh, when they release the laws of the game every year, um, they put video examples uh, alongside the laws. And in examples of good use of the attacking handball law, that very goal appears. So they're saying that this is one of the um, perfect examples of how you should apply the attacking handball law. So in terms of that Jesus goal from the Laporte uh, brush of the arm, uh, then that would still be disallowed this season. 
Yeah, but it's uh, I suppose it's music to City fans' ears that Trent Alexander-Arnold would have been punished had the game been played this season. That's true, In terms of, of penalties then and uh, an encroachment as well, because I, I, th- I think City were one of the first teams to, to have a retaken penalty last season again uh, in, in the opening game with, against West Ham. Uh, Fabianski saved the, uh, the penalty. It, he was off his line, but the retake was given because Declan Rice was encroaching and got to the rebound first. Uh, would the Fabianski issue be, a, be an issue for this season? Yeah, I mean, if a goalkeeper has moved off his line by any margin and uh, uh, the VAR assistant um, is able to see that there, even if it's just a really marginal amount uh, then and, and the goalkeeper makes the save, then there will be a retake of that penalty. And because that comes before the Declan Rice um, encroachment, um, it would be the goalkeeper's offence that comes first anyway. So say if the ball had come out to a, to a striker to score, then it would still be the goalkeeper's offence that would be taken into account. Um, one other slight change on encroachment, now this wouldn't have really affected much in the Premier League last year, uh, is they are now judging encroachment only on the feet of the part of the body which is touching the ground. So often when we've had a look for encroachment last season, we were looking at players leaning over into the box and we were thinking, is he encroaching, isn't he encroaching? A lot of people were saying, no, you, you shouldn't be judging it on on the lean of the body. So they are now saying it should be the feet. Now, because the line of the box belongs to um, the box, if you have your foot on the line, then you're in the box. So I'm not really sure how much of a difference this will really make. If you think of the example of the um, Wolves away game last year, Connor Cody was was quite quite in the box by quite a distance because he was inside the D. So that wouldn't make any difference to, to the law. So we may see a couple of instances whereby you've got to ask your question, ask yourself, has the attacker or defender got his feet on the ground or in the air? Because I asked the IFAB, um, you're talking about the, the part of the body touching the ground. What if somebody's foot is in the air, but well in the box, so they're making their step? And the IFAB told me it has to be part of the body which is touching the ground. So we may have an argument at some point where it looks like somebody's in the box, but because they aren't touching the ground, it doesn't count. So the argument certainly won't end on that front. Uh, it's definitely one to watch. Uh, on the goalkeeper front, is it? Uh, does it have to be any part of, of either foot on the line and that's considered on the line? Yeah, that's right. It just needs to be one foot. It doesn't need to be both foot. And even if it's overhanging the line, uh, the, the, the VAR will look at the, uh, the angle they have alongside the goal line. Um, and if he can see... As long as you can see part of the foot over the top of the line, then, uh, then that would be a legal save. It won't matter, by the way, if, it, if, it, if, it, if it's a hit supposed or it goes wide, then it doesn't apply. It only applies if the goalkeeper makes a save. And, uh, of course, the, the the one final part that, that caused a lot of arguments last season was offside. Not a lot has changed about that other than, than when the linesman's going to flag, I guess. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's um, in terms of the, the mechanics of offside, nothing's different. If anybody saw the... PSG versus Marseille game on Sunday night. There was a there was a player offside by the mar- most marginal of, uh, of millimeters. It was one of those whereby the two lines overlapped to such a point you could barely see the red coming through to show a player was offside. So that's not going to change. It's still the same offside tech. The Premier League actually wanted to have some form of um, margin of error. Um, they never said exactly what that wanted to be. I think it was around ten millimeters. Um, but FIFA have said that's not possible. The law is law and you have to give all offside decisions. So the only real difference, and this is definitely a, an improvement, is that uh, the linesman will um, will 
keep their flag down now and only flag at the end of the move. And we saw a few instances last season whereby the linesman put his flag up there and players looked a bit bemused. Um, the, the big instance, of course, was Sheffield United against Newcastle when John Joe Shelby ran through and scored. Dean Henderson barely even moved because he thought it was offside because the linesman had his flag up. Another instance, Man United against Arsenal when uh, uh, Birmingham scored. That was one where um, the flag went up and De Gea had, had his hand up at one point. It's much better that that flag stays down and the move completes. It's going to get a bit strange to get used to at first because obviously because the play completes and then the flag goes up, it's sort of you're expecting it to not be an offside flag. But I think it will be better in terms of the flow of the game and any possible errors that, that might creep in. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. ESPN's Dale Johnson there. Uh, just before we move on, uh, there is one other uh, little minor change for the Premier League this season. I don't know, uh, John, you're more likely to have spotted this than, uh, than Kieran, I guess. Uh, but did you know there's a new Premier League anthem? Uh, I didn't. No, sorry. Uh, well, let's have a look. Did. You did, Kieran. Yes. <laughs> you went the wrong way. <laughs> Well, let's have a little bit of a listen to it to, to see if it stands out as an absolute banger, shall we? It's a bit elbow, this, isn't it? It sounds a bit like Pro Evo or something. I think it sounds like Jurassic Park. In fact... Welcome... Jurassic Park. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like Jurassic Park. <laughs> That's not really how it goes, by the way. I've edited that onto the end. Do either of you know the line that comes next? Ah, uh, 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 didn't say the magic word. No, it's they do move in herds. <laughs> oh, what's that, Velociraptors? Uh, no, it's I think it's the Brachiosaurus right at the right in the uh, the start when they first go in. Fucking nerd. I love that film. It's a fantastic film. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked by Jurassic Park talk uh, because we are vastly running out of time for this week's show. I've ditched Ask the Panel this week just for that reason. Uh, So uh, we're going to do some quick-fire questions to finish on. So uh, just one-sentence answers, please. I know how much you struggle with one-word answers, so uh, let's go with one-sentence answers. Uh, Kieran, we'll start with you, then we'll echo to John very quickly. So uh, first question, who will win uh, this season's title and why? Um... Chelsea, because I don't really want to see say City and they've made some good signings. John? City, because I think they've got a, a stronger squad. Who's going to finish this season as City's top scorer, Kieran? Uh, Aguero. I don't think it can be anybody else. John? Yeah, it can't be anyone else. Which City player will be the surprise of the season and why, Kieran? Uh, Nathan Ake. I think he'll be a good signing. I think he'll play a lot more than we're expecting. John? I'm going to go Benjamin Mendy. I think he's going to if he makes a good start to the season, I think he will see the player that um, we bought from Monaco. Kieran, which player needs to have a good season and why? Uh, Bernardo Silva, because he was vastly out of form last season and he can't just spend his time being Liverpool's top troll. <laughs> John? Yeah, I think Bernardo needs to... Uh, I don't know what happened to him last season. He needs to get turn it around because he's absolute quality. Uh, we've already kind of covered this one, but will Aguero and Guardiola sign contract extensions, Kieran? Yes. John? Uh, yes, and 
Yes, I go on. Okay. Uh, will fans be back in the Etihad before Christmas, Kieran? Not a chance. John? Uh, unfortunately, that's in the hands of the government and they are useless. <laughs> I'm taking that as a no. Uh, and finally, uh, which member of the podcast team will win the most money on the charity bet this season, Kieran? <laughs> Has Ian Cheeseman been on the podcast before? <laughs> <laughs> he's not, no. We know he's got a good sort of uh, prophetic kind of mind thing about these kind of things. You know, we can sort of see into the future and know what happens. But um, I'll go for Dan Burke. And John? I'm going to go for uh, Kieran Murray because he knows so much about football. Fair enough. I, I'm a little bit offended that neither of you picked me, given that it's been me in the last two seasons, because I'm on every show. I thought you, I thought you meant guests, because you, you, you get a, a bet every week, don't you? Yeah, so member of the podcast team, it's most likely to be me, which I mean, yeah, okay. m- yeah. most most of the last seasons it's been me. You're in your favour, to be fair. Yeah. There we go. Uh, Right, well, the time for talking is over, unless you've not yet listened to our Patreon bonus show, in which case the time for talking isn't over just yet. Uh, Yes, the bonus shows are back, and they're available for everyone who supports the podcast by two, five, or ten dollars a month. Details of how to sign up are on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Each show is at least an extra 15 minutes of brand new discussion, and this week's is all about City against Wolves down the years. And honestly, it's not one to miss, because there's a surprise appearance for for Kieran dressed as a monk, and um, what was... And Antoine Sibierski is uh, on, on the TV show Cribs. So if you want to find out more about all of that, details are on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Thanks to my guests this week, Kieran Murray. Cheers, Blue. I enjoyed that. And Jonathan Smith. Cheers, David. I'll be back next Friday with another episode. So join me then. See you then. Bye-bye. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast